0: Do you ever desire revival? Do you ever pray for revival? Perhaps you look out your window or you read your paper or you watch your favorite news channel and you desire for there to be change. You desire there to be divine intervention. I found myself this past year and a half often praying for revival Longing that God would reveal Himself and change hearts. That God would unmistakably show up and reveal His glory. The desire is a good one. And Psalm 85 is the posture and rhythm of requesting revival. We will walk through Psalm 85 today and it has four beats of that rhythm. It will show us that revival, revival starts here. With me. And when you desire revival, appeal to the character of God in whom righteousness and kindness meet. So let's start in Psalm 85, the very beginning. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were the music leaders for Israel. They were a family that kept having music leaders. So there are music leaders over here. Generations later, there are music leaders over there. It is not clear when this particular psalm was written... But it is clear that it is written in such a time that they longed for repentance. They longed for return to relationship. And it was also a time that they could look back to when God had been good to them in the past. They could be looking back to the beginning of their time in the land of Israel, perhaps when God had rescued them from slavery from Egypt and brought them to a land called Canaan and said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will make a covenant with you and you will be blessed if you live according to that covenant. Perhaps that's what they were looking to. That is the beginning of the story. They could see God's favor there. Perhaps they were looking at the time of the judges, if you recall that unfortunate book. After the initial entry into Israel, there was a vicious and tragic cycle of these people going their own way and then turning and repenting, and then going back to their own way and back and forth and back and forth. Or perhaps this was written after deliverance from a time of exile. They're returning to the land, but they long for their connection with God to be what it was. That tension they feel is the longing for revival. They use words like return or restoration. And this song walks through the appropriate rhythm. We don't know when they walked through that rhythm. We don't know when they requested. But the longing for revival is there nonetheless. In the first beat of that rhythm... It starts with remembering what God has done in the past. So this is one through three. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin, Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. They sing, God has done wonderful things. Their book, just like our book, is full of pages about God being favorable to His land and the people who dwelled there. To give what was not deserved, to grace where it was not worthy. God gave a land, that's favorable, right? God restored fortunes. Time and again, God took care of His people with whom He had made a covenant. You can see that when He's taking care of Abraham. You see Him building up the fortunes of the original patriarch Jacob. And then when Jacob becomes a full-fledged people, millions of people, their fortunes are restored, not just in rescue out of Egypt, but when they come through the wilderness, when they arrive in Canaan, when they are conquered but then rescued, when they are exiled but then restored, if they keep their minds remembering, they are not lacking in stories that point to the goodness of God. They can remember who God is and what God is he has done. This must be the starting point. If you say, I want revival, who is God and what has he done? You know, this can be difficult, right? It's so easy to have the present right here. Man, this is real. Everything is right here. This is all I can see. But if we step back and remember, we can remember what God has done. We can see the good that God has done Frankly, we need community to remind us of what God has done, right? Especially when the present is right up in our face. God has been good to us. God has added to our number those who are being saved. That's in general, in particular. We just prayed for Gladstone. Six months before the pandemic started, we adopted Gladstone. Oh, yeah. I forgot. (laughs) Did you forget? God has been good. God is doing good things. The song says, He forgave iniquity and covered the sin of your people. That is a wonderful thing to remember. God is a God who forgives. And He has done it before. God is a God who covers sin. One who is able to deal with sin and He has done it before. And then it says, "Selah." Ponder that for a moment. It reminds me of the hymn lyric. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, he bled and died, I scarce can take it in. Take a moment. Selah. Or another. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. This truth is marvelous. This truth is awe-inspiring. God is a God who forgives iniquity and covers sin. That's good news, New Life Church. And this is very important if you're desiring revival, right? If you're desiring a return for a return to God to be possible, we need a God who can forgive. Who will forgive? That is that is the only way revival works. Before I can even request revival, I must remember who God is and, ah, yes, a God who forgives. I can continue my request now. And can we take a rabbit trail for just a moment? What is required for revival? If you look at that word, re, again, vive, life, if I am to have life again, I need to have life in the first place, right? Revival happens amongst people who have known life in the first place. Roy Ortland says it this way, Revival is about God taking sinful, exhausted, discouraged people and bringing felt forgiveness, fresh energy, new hope, invigorated power, and a wonderful new sense of Himself. That's the gospel being interjected back into a people. Now, historically, we know that in revival, in turning back Others who did not previously know life can come to know life because there's so much life going on, right? New things will happen. New people will come to Jesus that had not come before. Sometimes in history we talk about great awakening, something new is happening because God just does something amazing and presses gospel on a bunch of hearts. But at its most basic, this psalm is working under the assumption that the people that are singing know of the forgiveness of God. They know of the covering of God, and they very much desire to have that relationship burning brightly again. I was preaching the gospel once, and after the sermon, a longtime saint with tears in her eyes came up to me and said, thank you, I remembered the joy of my salvation today. That is a taste. That is a taste when people who knew the gospel remember Oh, that's how good it is. They remember a goodness. They have seen what God has done, and they want more of the story of the past to be overlaid onto the present because they have seen God forgive sin. They have seen God cover iniquity. They have seen God angry and wrathful. These are the words. And rightfully so because their sin was so egregious. In this goodness that they see in the past, they have seen God withdraw his wrath. They themselves have seen a merciful turning in God when he turned from his hot anger. I can't help but think that they have seen and remember examples of the name of God as seen in Exodus 34. If you recall that passage, God tells Moses his name. He comes before him and says, this is who I am. These are the words from Exodus 34, these are the characteristics, this is the name of God as he told it to us. It says in 34, 6 and 7, The Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, To the third and fourth generation. The people singing this song, they know the name of the Lord to be accurate. And they remember it through specific actions, through specific stories of God. What do you remember? Friends, what do you remember of the character of God? What do you recall of the graciousness of God? Can you rehearse the forgiveness of God? Can you recall it in your mind? Can you go back to that moment when you first knew that your sins had been covered? When your shame had been cleansed? Do you remember when you first knew that God was good and gracious? This is where revival starts. And friend, if you don't have answers to any of those questions, let it be today. We have a God who covers sin and shows favor. Run to Him. Pray to Him. Even now, this may be the day for life. This song starts with remembering. That's the beginning of revival. Remembering who God is and what He's done. And then it pivots to questions. This is 4 through 6. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Again, when does the first singing of this song take place? I don't know. But it is obvious that these questions are deeply felt. One does not sing these for practice. One knows one's status when these words are penned. One knows that the connection with God is not what it has been or what it could be. They have caused a strain. They have turned from God. They have turned the shoulder in relationship to God. There is a connection that needs to be restored. There is a closeness that they desire to feel. And because of that, the request is bold. Their questions are to the point. Restore us again. There has been a moment when we were restored before, but it is not today. We are disconnected. We are strained. And I think the implied source of all the strain is the sin of the people who are singing. They know they are the cause of the turning. They are the ones that brought the need for restoring. This is why they call out to the God of our salvation. We are calling to the one who saves We are calling to the one who restores. We have rehearsed how he has done it in the past, and now we are begging in the present, asking for change for the future. They sing, you are the God of salvation. Put away your indignation, your anger, your grief toward us. And note what they don't say. You shouldn't be so angry with us. Can you calm down a little bit? Why are you so serious about this? God, your anger is inappropriate. No. We appeal to the God who can save. We appeal to the God who can restore to put away his anger from us. Not because we deserve it, but because you are the God of salvation. Will you be angry forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? And we should note, this sounds like the name of the God from Exodus, right? He stops judgment when it is fitting. He does not take a break from doing what is right. It is as though they are looking at Scripture, they are reading the words of who God is, and they can remember who their ancestors have been, and they know who they are, and they know who their kids will be. And they say, Will you be angry forever? We come from a line of sinful people, producing sinful people. Save us. We desire to see the saving qualities of your character. We recognize the judgment qualities, and they are rightfully upon us. Restore us. Have you been there? You have brought strain into your life because of your sin. Perhaps the consequences were fierce and you finally came to a place. How long, O Lord? Perhaps it was before you were restored at all. Or perhaps it was when the discipline of the Lord felt particularly weighty. These are the right questions. These are the questions of one who is running to God as fast as they can. Because God is a God of salvation not simply be because he is an outlet to relieve suffering. They are running to God because they want relationship. These are the questions of the one who wants relationship. These are the questions of the one who wants revival, one who wants restoration. Is that what you want? That's what I want. These are the questions of one who knows that these queries are fitting because the character of God has not changed. We know He is gracious from the past, so we will lean in with our requests. We will lean in boldly because our confidence is in His mercifulness and graciousness. His character is secure, His character is unwavering. That's why they boldly ask, How long, O Lord? Will you not revive us again? Because we want to praise you. We want to be able to sing the songs of your salvation, not in theory, but in practice. Not just on paper, but in ways that resonate in our bones. Because we know you, that's why we want to sing. We know your saving work, that's why we will lift the anthem We know your relationship. That is why we would lift the chorus. We know the rightness of your judgments. And because of that, we know your restoration in even sweeter ways. And we want to sing with that knowledge. Revive us again. When you desire revival, what are the questions in your prayers? May they match these questions. They have remembered the goodness of God. That's the first beat. They have asked bold questions. That's the second. And now they will make their requests starting in seven. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. The posture of revival moves from questions to requests, and they remain bold. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord. Again, a desire to see character revealed in the name of the Lord. This is the loving kindness. This is the love of God who made covenant with a people. This is a God whose name includes abounding in steadfast love. We just read that in Exodus. And the request is simple. I want to see it. This is a great prayer, is it not? Show us your steadfast love. This can be seen when you realize how gracious God has been to you. When you realize how broken your station was and how good your inheritance is because God stepped in and loved you. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the reality of God's love for you? Has that monumental nature of the fact that God created you, God watched you rebel? and God bled to forgive your rebellion, has that ever grabbed your soul and caught your heart between beats? Have you ever felt the immense gravity of your sin, of your willful turning your back to God? Have you felt that on your shoulders and then seen the goodness of God and His saving work and seen that weight lift? Show us your steadfast love, O God. Show it to us by revealing gospel to us. Show it to us by invading our midst with gospel and grace. Show it to us by changing our hearts. Show it to us by molding our character into your character. I know God loves me when He makes me what I was not. When bits of my character begin to look like Jesus, I go, "Oh, God loves me." Can we pray this together? Show us your steadfast love. Grant us your salvation. That is my prayer even this morning. If there are disconnected hearts here, that today would be the last day they are disconnected. He continues in 8. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people, to His saints. But let them not turn back to folly. And then it all shifts. For a while now, it has been all first person plural. Us. Restore us. Show us. Revive us. And then the singer pivots to the singular. Me. Let me hear. I want to hear the words of the Lord, I want to see his response. I belong to this people and I want to see what God will do, what God will say. I am a member of the people that needs to be restored. It was already personal in the plural. It was the us, it was the we, but now it is more so. And I think this points to the, the desire for revival starts here. Too often we look outside of us, outside of our community even, and say, it sure would be great if revival happened over there. It would be great if God cleaned up the mess across the street. That, that neighborhood really needs the gospel. That city needs help. That country needs the gospel. That people needs the gospel. Friends, this people needs the gospel. I need the gospel. You need the gospel. Revival does not happen over there and we get to bask in its glow. It starts in our midst when God has struck awe in us with the goodness and the immensity and the graciousness of what God did for us. What is proclaimed in the gospel? It starts when we remember who He is and what He has done. It starts when we ask with trembling knowledge of our sin, will you be angry forever? It starts when we realize it has, I want nothing to do with my sin anymore. It has coaxed me and cajoled me. It has enticed me and enraptured me for too long I want nothing in place of my King. I want nothing in place of my God. Restore me, God. Let me see your salvation. Let me see your steadfast love. Let me be connected to you. Allow me to sing your praises with fully knowledgeable, uplifted voice. Revival starts with me. Revival starts here. Just say that together. Revival starts with me. Let me see what the Lord will speak. That is the desire of this psalm. It's as though they are singing, I want to have a front row seat. Let it hit me first. Why? Because I know the character of our God. He will speak peace. Let me hear because I want to hear the words of peace, or in Hebrew, the words of shalom, out of the mouth of God. I want to be close to the action. I want to be close to what he is doing. To his people, he speaks peace. To his saints, he speaks shalom, completeness, soundness, the state of everything as it should be, in right relationship with God. Who wants to hear God speak the words of peace? I do. Sign me up, put me in the front row. That desire is the beginning of revival, friends. And in the same breath, he he sings, Let us not turn to folly. There are many requests for turning in this psalm, for restoration, for turning back, but this is the negative example. When we hear the words of peace, do not let us turn back to folly, to all the stupid ways to live in this world that pay no heed to who God is or what He has done. And with full knowledge of the past, this is a present danger, right? The people of Israel have tripped up before, Friends, you have all tripped up. When we are honest, we know we have tripped up. Another hymn comes to mind. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Don't let me turn to folly. A heart in the midst of revival desires to never turn away again. It is looking to the future and praying for protection from future folly from future temptation, from living in a smaller, inadequate story instead of the wonderful reality of the story of what God has done for His people, for you. And the prayer is, let them not turn back. Let not folly be enticing anymore. This is the heart that wants revival. In verse 9, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Salvation is near those who have a proper view of God, fear in the one who can rightly and justly punish them for their sins. Having the start of that view of God means you are close to the God of salvation, because the just God is also the saving God, friends that glory may be in our land. This song is sung by the worship leaders of the people of Israel. They sat in a land that was part of a covenant. Their request was nationally focused, a people in a particular land. They felt this acutely because the punishments of breaking the covenant was removal from the land, diminishment of the land. Connection with God would mean glory in the land. We also ask and ought to ask for return for revival for change but we request revival not as members of a particular nation but members of a particular people the church god has a covenant with his church he has spilled his blood to make a covenant with his church one that he brings to completion with glory filling the whole earth filling all the land That glory may dwell in our land. What does it look like when God's glory shows up? Let's read ahead. 10 through 13. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. These are the rhythms of revival. Start with remembering who God is and what he has done. Ask the hard questions. Request return and salvation. And then finally, fix your hope on the future and ultimate revealing of God's character. Friends, this is the glory of the Lord. That's what they attach their hope to. The sons of Korah crave to see this And they see it in seed form here. In the New Testament, we see this flower. And now, together with them, we long for the day when this is blossoming, unabated. Press into this. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. This is wonderful. These are the aspects of character that are sometimes opposed, sometimes conflicting, at least when you're thinking in human ways. It is easy to think I can demand righteousness or I can bring peace. But in the person of God, these aspects of character are not in conflict but in beautiful connection. Love and faithfulness walk hand in hand, righteousness and peace are wed together. God exemplifies each of these perfectly, and in him they are not overshadowed or underemphasized. The sons of Korah sing this song in the midst of brokenness and desire to see the characteristics of God. Restore us so that we may see. God takes this desire for a melody and makes it a symphony. Steadfast love had the Lord looking at the rebellious world and he said, I will be faithful. God the Son comes to the world to love the world. God comes to the faithless Not in condescension, but with enduring love and kindness. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet in God, and they meet in the person of Jesus. The righteousness of God was in full display while 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 we exemplified our rebellion. Our stature was not righteous. Our stature was not one that properly loved God through our actions as we ought Our stature was one that did not deserve peace. But God is not conflicted. On the cross, His righteousness and His peace kissed each other in perfect, beautiful harmony. God brought righteousness and made peace and gave us the benefit of that kiss. In the confluence of his character, he makes the means for restoration. He makes the means for our turning, for our relationship with him. Is that not good news? Faithfulness springs up from the ground. Righteousness looks down from the sky. Can you see heaven and earth coming together? Much of our story, much of our lived reality is the forced separation between heaven and earth. Between the place where God is and the place where man is. It has been this way since the garden. You know the tragic story. Even in the Lord's prayer sits in the desire to see the two brought together again on earth as it is in heaven. The work of Jesus is the God of heaven interjecting himself into earth. The God-man is the intersection between heaven and earth and the means by which God is bringing heaven and earth together. This is what we long for. This is what they long for and sang with a kernel of the understanding. Let the character of God spring up from the ground and his character look down from the sky. The restoration of the Lord is so complete that these separated realms are coming back together. They have met in Christ and they will fully meet in the new heavens and the new earth. When separation is finally abolished, we will see God and his character unobscured heaven and earth. Verse 12 says, yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Do you believe this? The Lord, Yahweh, gives good things. Romans says, if he gave us his son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The inheritance of Of the restored ones is gloriously good. Our salvation does not terminate on our escape from punishment. That would have been good on its own, right? The Lord gives abundantly. We sit in the inheritance with King Jesus. What He is given, we are given. This reality far exceeds what I expected when I was restored. They saw their single spot of Canaan and pictured it yielding its increase. This would be evidence of God giving good things. And we, in addition, see the coming together of heaven and earth someday in the future and the land producing as it should, no longer stifled by the curse of the ground. God will give what is good. Our restoration will be met alongside the restoration of all creation. And our God will go before us because glory is in the land. They sing, righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. When God walks in the land, righteousness is in his wake. When God rules, he will rule with justice and goodness. He walks rightly and completely. He walks justly and unwaveringly. His steps are the steps that ought to be walked, and when glory is in the land, righteousness is visible. Of all things I long for, I long for that. The harmony of God's character will not just be in his person, but in the whole earth, friends. In this, there is longing to see God's rule made clear and obvious in the world. There's also an implied way we live. If we are connected to our God, God has righteousness going before him. The way of his steps are clear. Let us walk as children following their papa in the snow. While we wait for the final restoration, let our character and our actions be signposts to the coming day of righteousness. Peter writes about it this way. Look back on what God has done in your own life, in your own community. Remember who He is. Ask your questions with boldness and with all the clarity that is afforded you when you see your sin as it is. Request the restoration of the Lord. Beg the Lord, restore and turn us back and start with me. And pin your hope on the truth that God is desirous to restore you. He desires to restore the world. He desires and has sent Jesus to exemplify His character in full glory. And His desire will one day bring about the restoration of the world that we may walk with Him. Long for revival. Pray for revival. Appeal to the God who will bring it and say, start with me. Let's pray. Lord, may this psalm be the rhythm of our prayers. May we sing in harmony alongside the sons of Korah, and I ask that you would start with us. Allow the gospel to be the firm and overriding song of our hearts, and may it be so loud among us that your glory is proclaimed in such a way that others hear of your goodness, of your work, of your righteousness, and of your peace. May Jesus look glorious and may more be added to the coming restoration because your glory is so loudly, obviously, unabashedly, and comprehensively proclaimed in our midst. Start with us even as we sing, in the name of Jesus, amen.